0: Hello creeps. Welcome to the horror vanguard. I'll be your ghost, I mean host, for today's exciting tale of terror. An interview with Madeline and Rebecca from the upcoming Politics and Horror Conference, or... You know it's really hard to subtitle this one because politics, gothic, and horror are really kind of our thing. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Horror Vanguard. I am your co ghost and producer, Ash, joined as always by John, aka the Liquor Guy. How's it going, John?
1: I am very, very happy. Currently, we we've made it through the massive storm that was uh, raging over most of the country. So the day has been like suitably dark and goth, and and all those good things. So I'm feeling pretty good.
0: That's great, uh, and uh, you know, like like we are often want to do today. We are joined by some fantastic guests uh, today. We have Madeline and Rebecca. How are you two doing?
2: Hey. Doing great, great.
0: And if uh, both of you wouldn't mind introducing yourselves to our listeners, and feel free to uh, plug any ways we can support you, and also uh, give give a little bit of information on this upcoming conference we're going to be involved with.
2: Sure, Madeline, do you want to go? Do you want to go first? Because you're the conference yeah. gal.
3: Yeah. So this is. Uh, the conference that I organized. Um, so my name is Madeline Spoonover. Um, you can call me Matt or Maddie, whatever is fine. Um, y- you can find me on Twitter at erudite, like Jane Eyre. so E-Y-R-E-U-D-I-T-E. Amazing. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. I was quite proud of that. Yeah, I am a, well, I just passed my first year review at the University of Sterling for my PhD in uh, Gothic studies. So, I am now officially a second-year PhD candidate. That's kind of my background. Um, I study contemporary American and Native American Gothic literature from the 80s to the present. Um, and then, yeah, and then I'm doing the Politics and Horror Conference, which you can find out more about at the um, uh, the Sterling Gothic Center's Twitter, which is at Goths, S-T-I-R-L-I-N-G-G-O-T-H-S or on our website, which is gothic.politics.blog. So um, those are kind of my little quotes.
1: We will make sure that um, all those relevant links are in the show notes below, so please do check out um, the work of the Sterling Gothic Centre and the conference blog.
2: Um, So I'm I'm Rebecca Duncan. I'm a postdoctoral researcher at um, the Linnaeus University Center for Concurrences in Colonial and Postcolonial Studies, which is in Sweden. And this is a pretty new job, so I've only been in it for about a month. Um, and before that, I was at the University of Stirling, where I taught in the English department. I actually taught Madeleine. Uh, previously, and I was affiliated there to the International Center of Gothic Studies. And in terms of plugging things, I have two books which might, may be interesting to people. Um, the first one is called South African Gothic, uh, it's available from uh, University of Wales Press in the UK and University of Chicago Press in. Uh, the States. The second book is a co-edited volume with with Matt Foley from Manchester Met uh, and it is a, uh, called Patrick McGrath and His World's Madness and the Transnational Gothic. I have a couple of other things coming up which again uh, if people are interested in the stuff that we're talking about you might want to check them out. So um, I've co-edited a special issue of the journal Interventions, International Journal of Postcolonial Studies with another colleague, Dr. Rebecca Kumpste from Weber state university in the US and, and this uh, this special issue is about the um, kind of changing aesthetics of the body in postcolonial fiction after the millennium and it kind of overlaps with the stuff that we're going to be talking about to the extent that, that quite a lot of um, the stuff that I have contributed to the, to the special issue is, is, is kind of um, around speculative fiction and, and gothic and horror. Um, and then the last thing I would say is I have, a, I have an article coming out in Ariel, which is um, a review of international English literature, which is about um, speculative fiction and ecological crisis in Southern African literature. And that should be coming out sometime this year. Um, and if you're interested in, in uh, finding me online, I... Um, probably the best thing to do is to just find my academia.edu profile. So academia.edu and then just search Rebecca Duncan and something will come up.
1: Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you both so much. And obviously, as I said, we'll we'll make sure that there are links to all of the cool stuff uh, that you're both working on um, in, in the show notes. So please do check it out. If you, if you are interested in the kind of stuff that we talk about on the show and you want to um, maybe dig more into... Uh, how this is getting uh, explored and written about in more academic contexts, then uh, absolutely please do check out uh, the work that Maddie and Rebecca are doing.
0: Yes, I couldn't agree more. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic work. And yes, we'll have links to everything in the show notes. Uh, so to get, on, to get on to the meats, I suppose, of today's interview, um, uh, we're proud to be part of the uh, upcoming conference. So we're very excited. We're really excited for that. Uh, John and I will both be there. Um, And if you could uh, tell us a little bit about what the conference is going to be about.
3: Yeah. So um, like I said, uh, the well, you will have links to the um, website, which has the CFP, um, FAQ, you know, stuff like that in more detail. But broadly speaking, this is an interdisciplinary conference. We are welcoming all levels of studies or people outside academia as well. You don't need to be graduate or you don't need to have a job in academia or, or anything to be welcome here. It's um, just if you are interested in this overlap between horror and politics. Um, of course, this is in many forms, um, as anybody who listens to this show will know, um, you know, obviously if if you're interested in no horror, horror aesthetics and film, there's an ad for that or comics or literature or video games, any of those sort of traditional areas of, of uh, academic conferences, but then also well like in, in language and literature, but also if you're interested in the horror and policy making or um, horror and journalism studies, incredibly incredibly relevant to today. So um, yeah, that's kind of the the there's going to be elements of uh, decolonial studies, elements of you know LGBTQ plus uh, like film and things like that, that are going to be incorporated. But, you know, if you're a romantic scholar, <laughs> we're happy to have you as well. There's, there's people talking about that. I think people get a little bit nervous that this is quite contemporary, but like, I mean, Gothic since the beginning has, has been political. So, um, and, and you also don't need to just study Gothic. You can be a horror, a person interested or interested in horror or whatever,
1: that is that's awesome. And I really like I really like the focus on mm-hmm. um, historicizing and extending the the period under which this kind of topic gets talked about, because, I mean, uh, Ash and I are both really excited to be there. We, I think, will uh, are, are come at this from, you know, a very clear film studies point of view. So it's going to be very cool to get to meet and talk to people, maybe from who, who look at things from uh, policy or political economy or journalism, because I think that's going to be a really exciting way of deepening those, this this um, this niche that we're trying to work out here. Uh, what we what we repeatedly call uh, the the spooky left. I think that's a really exciting. That's one of the reasons why I think that this conference is so exciting.
3: Yes. Yeah, I, I think that um, obviously my area of study is decolonial studies as well as Rebecca's, but like everything is so interconnected when you're talking about empire, when you're talking about, you know, hegemony and capitalism, and all those things, like everything is under that rule and everything becomes gothic under that sort of rule.
0: Yeah, when <clears throat> when we heard that there was a politics and gothic conference that was going to happen, I don't think it was in either of us to uh, be able to resist attending this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: it is it is going to be it's going to be kind of uh surreal i think because i will be i will be coming back to my alma mater where i did both my my undergraduate and master's degree so that's that's kind of i'm i'm excited it's gonna be the first time that i'll be back in in my in my old haunts um since i graduated which is going to be very cool
0: but i guess i guess to kick to kick off our uh i suppose deeper questions uh, why uh, and then this is what I, I would ask to both of you. Why do you think now is a good time for a conference on the Gothic politics and horror more broadly?
2: Well, I think. I mean, I think one of the reasons has got to be that it. it I mean, I would say, and actually, before I say that, I, I would just go back to what um, Madeline said, and I would stress that people have always been, as as long as there's been something called Gothic studies, right? People have always been mm-hmm. talking about. Um, with gothic in a in in a political way, right? This is not this is not a, a a new phenomenon. Perhaps one of the reasons that now seems like a good moment is it really has. To, I mean, it must have to do with the fact that it's, it's, there's some seriously high-profile uh, gothic slash horror production which is going on at the moment, which kind of explicitly makes links. To politics, in understood in some kind of broad sense, but I mean definitely the real world, you know, real issues, things which are actually happening, which demand political responses. Um, so you know, I'm thinking about stuff like Get Out. Um, is it sort of seems to be the most obvious example. So Gothic to address structural racism. I don't know if you're familiar with Ahmed Sadawi's Frankenstein in Baghdad, but that mm-hmm. seems to be another, mm-hmm. another really kind of pertinent example of a really high-profile text, which is explicitly drawing on the resources of the Gothic to address uh, what is it, you know, in a, in a very deep sense, a political, well, a, a material conflict. Um, and then, I mean, so, and then climate change uh, or, or climate emergency, And uh, the volume of speculative fiction, which draws on gothic and or horror to kind of negotiate those kinds of real unfolding terrors. I I feel like those are uh, within the crucible of those issues that this seems uh, like an especially relevant thing to be doing and to be thinking about. So the texts demand it.
0: I really like that framing of the text demanding it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, and there is also, I mean, the kind of related sense in, in in which, but I mean, which is much more diffuse and hard to pin down. But the sense in which things are things appear to be especially horrifying, generally, in in or especially disorientating. Perhaps let's say that, like the the contemporary moment is is, is a is a time of, of massive global shifts in so many registers, and um, uh, uh, that kind of. And I mean, climate being one of them. But you know, there's an unemployment crisis. There are radical political shifts in some of the the most powerful countries in the world, uh, and and these sorts of changes produce a level of anxiety uh, and they are themselves bound up with, with politics all of them i suppose thinking about the relationship between uh like anesthetics of anxiety or anxiety and cultural production and politics seems also to be kind of important it, it, for, so 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 not only from the sense of thinking about what texts are coming out but thinking about um, what are the realities that are producing those texts they seem to be relatively horrifying
3: well, yeah, I, it's, um wasn't it Stephen Shapiro who, um, in Transvaal Transylvania, sort of, it's an article in Gothic Studies, um, and he, he sort of talked about how something, I, I've used his so many times. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I,
2: I yeah, know exactly, but, I know exactly what you're
3: talking yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> Rebecca <laughs> and I are always thinking the same thing. But yeah, uh, so he talks about how Gothic um, crystallizes at these at these moments of change yeah. in capitalist FaceTime is essentially is, is essentially yeah, yeah. what you're saying, and and I think yeah. that we're going through a very very particular change. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, from,
2: yeah. I mean, from some from, from some perspectives, from some critical perspectives, we are currently in the terminal phase. Um, however long that may be, uh, is something that kind of remains to be seen. But but yes, this is the ultimate moment of transition, essentially. But that's a really good and that's a really good point. I mean, I feel like that. I mean, that point kind of gets us to where why we why we have perhaps this proliferation of really self consciously political and critical uh, gothic fi- um, texts coming out and also to, to just to cycle back to the point about why we have in this conference i think it's because it's important to centralize that um those kinds mm. of issues i think i think there is valuable work to be done in the field or in i mean not even in the field but there is valuable work to be done on considering how cultural production is manifesting anxieties which are kind of real and in in the real world
1: yeah i think i completely agree with both of you and i actually think there's a kind of implicit argument to what you're saying which is that if the gothic has always been political and that there something has kind of broken down in which the kind of politicized nature of horror can no longer be safely ignored i think for quite a while what was more in vogue in in gothic and horror studies academically speaking was probably two strands so that we we were very comfortable talking about psychological and (laughs) psychoanalytical (laughs) interiority and we were very comfortable with a kind of what the Victorian, uh, what the V21 Collective would call kind of naive historicism, where we would, you know, mm. that would that's how we would explain texts. Um, and I, could, I think what's interesting then is that this conference raises a sort of meta question, which is not, not only is our understanding of the texts and cultural production maybe shifting, but also something is maybe shifting within academic discourse about mm. these texts, mm-hmm um yeah. which is very which is really exciting and really encouraging to see
2: i think that's uh, i think that's kind of nail on the head right there i think that 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 shift is happening and not it's not happening to to uh it's not it's not it's not that's not a ubiquitous situation i think that's um yeah um and, and and it should also be said that those kinds of established paradigms of psychoanalysis, um, and so on, they're often I mean, as you'll know, like they're often actually self consciously taken on by by texts themselves and kind of mobilized in ways which speak to maybe a more I mean, we're using the word political in, in an incredibly broad sense, and I'm going to just continue to do that because I feel like it's probably the most useful thing to do, but um, but, but, kind of mobilized to political effect or or in the aid of some kind of socioeconomic critique, that is definitely something which is happening. So I don't think that psychoanalysis um, or psychoanalytic paradigms are necessarily kind of antithetical to the kind of work that um, I suppose the conference is, is sort of maybe suggesting in the main but i do but I do think that that there is some kind of um, kind of maybe methodological or theoretical sea change which is which is taking place in in the academy as well as in the actual fiction itself
1: i think I think the the political has always been the unspoken other of the psychoanalytic, so mm-hmm. you could, you can try and say that you know're just doing, we're just doing interiority, we're just doing subjectivity mm-hmm. but. Mm. You, you, but who's that, that subjectivity? Is, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's yeah. always a political choice. So mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's really encouraging. That, you know, increasingly, we're, we're in this mode of cultural production that seems to be recognising the the point of terminal crisis, the the limits of of thinkable capitalism, and mm. maybe what what comes next, and then I, it's it's encouraging those two shifts, the, the the kind of academic methodologies and and cultural production are happening simultaneously.
2: I mean, the other thing to say is that that both um, Madeline and I work on on fiction prim- primarily uh, that is not from the global north, and I think that that is also. Part of that perspective is kind of although Madeline, I suppose, I mean it's different for you because you're working on you're you're working on indigenous fiction, so so, but that is we're working on uh, fiction which is not Euro American, mm. that is post colonial or decolonial. Those perspectives, the, the, those mobilizations of the speculative and and gothic or horror, I feel um, quite often make very clear the the uh, the potential for um those kinds of forms to address uh kind of real points of crisis because it is in the places that that these kinds of texts are produced that those crises are felt the most yeah. consistently so we we're, we're talking about the front lines of um i mean I'm, I, I, ecological change of, of 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 a global unemployment crisis like I mean these are the, the this is where these narratives are being written and if it seems to be the case that they are Kind of making explicitly p- political commentaries, then that is probably because um, that that is what's required in the in these places.
3: I think also in the interest of just sort of <laughs> always, I'm always so paranoid that people are gonna think that it's, it's like only a, de- a decolonial conference or whatever, and of mm-hmm. course, like Rebecca like I've said Rebecca Rebecca and I both work in decolonial stuff, that's why we mention it, and that's kind of the focus and I don't think I said but Rebecca's the keynote. And it's going to be fantastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, we should, we, we yeah, should yeah. definitely,
0: we should definitely highlight that. Rebecca is the keynote of this
3: exciting conference. Yes. But yes, yeah, so um, but if you think about things like uh, podcasts, obviously, mm-hmm. so like you know, a medium we should I... all be familiar with if you are on here. <laughs> um, but uh, there's a, a, a podcast called Thunder Bay, um, mm-hmm. that I listened to that was about um disappearances and murders of uh in a small town in canada it's called thunder bay and just the sort of corruption and the lack of care and all of these things and all the stereotypes and things and ongoing colonialism and manifest manners as gerald prisoner would call them that like go into these sorts of issues i think it's really interesting that like with the proliferation of podcasts and the popular like growing popularity of podcasts and like twitter and the sort of like democratizing Uh i don't that feels like not a word but like that power it allows us to see past these narratives um journalistically that um mass media tends to ignore or push aside or sort of gloss over and so i think that's something else that like has contributed to Sort of pol- a more political mindset and a sort of mm. understanding of horror as political, politics as horrific. Mark, yeah, they, they, they feed into mm. each other.
2: There is um, a phenomenon of publishing speculative fiction, you know, on uh, as Twitter fiction or Facebook fiction or flash fiction. Um, I know particularly in in sub-Saharan Africa, which is kind of my my kind of field of, of focus. Those platforms are uh, also platforms for, uh, political organization for, for kind of new youth movements, for example, or uh, new student movements like, like roads must fall or fees must fall, um, which have a kind of a decolonial impulse. So I think that there are definitely, there is definitely a connection there. There is definitely a connection to the kind of, um, yeah, the rise of social media as a kind of activist platform and also Mm -hmm. a platform for speculative writing.
0: I I definitely agree that these that these modes, you know, like we're talking about podcasting and we're talking about all these like, I guess, modes of producing media and most modes of producing cultural content that exist to some extent outside of mainstream channels. Mm. And that almost necessarily lends it to, I guess, if we want to use a really broad term, political dissent from whatever Mm. direction you want to look at that from.
2: I mean, and also um, kind of there is a there is a generational component to all of that as well you know the the the, the sort of digital generation that feels really at home and on these platforms and 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 to a great extent that that new generation is is kind of in its own way burdened by or again kind of on like closer to the front line of like corrosive shifts that are taking place you know it's the it's 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 young it's young people who are kind of staring into the future and thinking what am i going to what am I going to do in with with this situation um, and it 's also young people who have who 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 have the facility with those uh, kind of digital channels so so there are, you know the, there is a potentially a, a kind of a connection between the po- the politics that you're talking about and uh, the politics of dissent and and usefulness
1: yeah that, that's that 's a really good point and like the way in which there is such a thing as generational horror like what what Mm -hmm. is the horror for a particular generation and you know for the for for reaganite america it was you Mm -hmm. know the the youths drinking and sneaking off to the woods to have sex so you Mm -hmm. create the monster that can appropriately discipline them for daring to do so whereas Mm -hmm. you know what is the great what's the great horror for a kind of young generation today if not the future spectacle of oncoming ecological collapse,
2: mm-hmm. um, yes.
1: which is which is depersonalized and is everywhere and is mm-hmm. and is you know almost unthinkable, like literally almost mm. unthinkable.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is arguably why speculative genres are the ones which take which are taking it on. You know, as, as Anna, yeah. that's, Amitav Ghosh has made that point very explicitly. But yes, I think I mean I I mean this is actually also part of the project that i'm working on at the moment again so i so i have i have very preliminary thoughts about this but 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 yes i think that generation is a key category in in the way that we we are i mean when we're talking about the the kind of horror and gothic that's coming out now maybe since the since since maybe the second decade of the millennium um i think we are we are talking about a generational phenomenon which is also a political phenomenon i do i do really think that and it is entirely bound up with the the kind of converging um crises of of i mean i think about them as planetary crises because i i don't necessarily think that the that the ecological that that impending ecological collapse is separable from global unemployment or uh you know the the kind of exhaustion of resources um or really the you know the ongoing racialization of uh, poverty or gendering of poverty. I feel like these are all kind of imbricated in each
3: yes. other
0: yeah. yeah absolutely they are not separable in any meaningful yeah. way,
2: yeah,
1: because if you were to if you were to separate them, what you're basically doing is you're kind of placing i mean the problem the problem with capitalism is it runs up against uh like limits even though it's predicated on limitless expansion yeah
2: yeah. So, i mean yeah
1: if, you, yeah if you if you separate capitalism from the natural world which is a finite resource mm. then we basically go <laughs> who can say why the the planet's ecosphere seems to be in tatters mm-hmm. um which yeah. is which is a very convenient way of letting us all off the hook
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and definitely. And, and I, I think I would just add to that, that attempts to separate what's going on to the global environment right now from uh, uh, our modes of production, from things mm. like racism, from colonialism, those attempts, uh, they're they are inexorably linked into eco-fascism and, mm. and the rise of far-right movements. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, like we've that, As we've yeah, seen. As we've seen. Yeah, that's
0: mm-hmm. what you get when you decouple those things, is you get mm-hmm. really disgusting far-right movements.
2: Yeah. I can recommend to everybody if you haven't already read it, I mean you probably you you're probably familiar with it, but I can recommend Jason Moore's work on world ecology, which is a paradigm that I that I use a lot to kind of think through these issues and also to think through their relationship to speculative imaginaries. So so uh Jason Jason W. Moore, Capitalism in the Web of Life or mm-hmm. um yeah. Or, or his more recent book with with Raj Patel is called The History of the World and Seven Cheap Things. Um, uh, and I
1: brilliant book yeah. can't, can't uh, recommend that one enough.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really find that incredibly useful for kind of focusing what is 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 really a difficult thing to actually kind of really wrap your head around. But yeah, uh, just a fantastic book. And then if you're interested in thinking about the relationship between those, uh, what Moore is describing, uh, which is very much what we've just talked about for the last few minutes, and speculative or a speculative narrative including gothic there is a group of researchers who work at, at warwick university um, called the warwick research collective of which stephen shapiro who, who madeline mentioned a little while ago is part they have a book called combined and uneven development towards a new theory of world literature where they connect the rise of speculative fiction to uh, to moore's um theorization of the world ecology uh, well, not the rise of speculative fiction but they they they, they, they connect instances of speculative production to mm. the world ecology uh, it's, it's also a fantastic book and 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 i feel underused in gothic studies particularly um where it really could be um, I feel like there's, there's, there's more that we can do um, on the back of that text.
0: <laughs> yes, I will, I will add links to both of these texts down in the show notes.
1: Cool. We've been, yeah. we've been, we've been talking about this already, but maybe it would be a good idea to just, just ask you both to maybe, would you, would you mind maybe talking in a little more of detail about what you think the relationship is between, between horror and politics
3: so yeah, the, the sort of intersections between these things. So I, I think particularly in America, because that's what I study is American literature, and that's what my, um, my master's uh, thesis or dissertation was on as well, was um, actually the echoes of sort of Reagan-era uh, social policies and then also Reaganomics into the 90s and 2000s. And so I, I think how those, how politics and horror are related in our current moment in America, which I, I don't like to speak for the whole world, you know, but, but I think for, for us, it's, it's very much politics often tells you who to be afraid of and why in order to further imperialism and capitalism. And those two are the same thing and blah, blah, blah. So like, um, I mean, not to blah, 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 a bunch of terrible things, but you know, like, like that's what it does. Um, and I feel like that's, Frequently what it's done in America um, almost all the time because America is a colony um, or we're colonizers and that's something that I always want to be very clear about. Is um, So so I think America being a colony, like our politics, our model of politics has always told us who to be afraid of and why. Um, And I think that's true of a lot of cultures and things like that. But um, yeah, I don't know, broadly speaking, I guess very simply put, that is like the heart of of how these two things are connected for me um
2: really does make total sense i think that like i mean i would say also that 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 from from my perspective anyway like all narratives are going to be political in some respect in some way um because yeah. uh, all narratives are produced in in political contexts but but and, and maybe like maybe just to kind of tap into what you're saying madeline gothic and politics is really to think about gothic as 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 having been the 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 writing of monstrosity and the writing of otherness or 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 perhaps more um you know what is made to be other within the parameters of a particular society um and so in that sense gothic like like you're saying gothic monsters have kind of registered who who we are supposed to be afraid for afraid of and why Uh, does, does that make sense yeah. So, so gothic mod monsters have kind of have like kind of carried the imprint of of, of actual discourses of othering, and you can think about things like um, I mean, Dracula is probably the most kind of accessible and famous example, which sort of um, you know is, is kind of shaped by anxieties about the future of the British nation and um, xenophobia, sort of or exoticism around Eastern Europe. But um, but also, you know, uh, imperial gothic, you know, people like H. Ryder Haggard, who, who create gothic monsters out of, um, you know, colonial stereotypes, racist colonial stereotypes. So gothic fiction has kind of borne the imprint in some way of... Um, Actual discourses of 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 otherness, which actually have circulated in in societies, and mm-hmm. um, has kind of hyperbolized those or dramatized those. So that is like definitely that is one way of thinking about the relationship between gothic and politics. I think a hundred percent. But then there is also that other slightly more complex thing, which is which has got to do with the the, the thing which, if you know anything about gothic studies, you will know that the fr- the fr- the phrase "blurring boundaries" is something which is. Um, Kind of uh, over. We we're familiar with it. We're very familiar with that phrase. We hear. We it a love
1: lot. a good liminal space. We, we love, love a good one. liminal space.
2: <laughs> and productive ambiguity. Okay. So, but but, but but I mean, basically, that's what I'm going to say. Like gothic, gothic has not actually been terribly good always at at actually representing others as kind of others. They're, they're generally otherness is otherness is generally less kind of easily domesticated than than that so it's a very often gothic fiction and in, in, even imperial gothic fiction which is which is uh which is horrific and brutal in in in, in its represent in its assumptions about uh, or assumptions and assumptions about and constructions of race. Uh, it actually is, is, is very often find those texts actually find it quite difficult to really keep, maintain control of those kinds of binaries, those racial binaries. So very often the, the, um, the kind of the binary of the self and the monster, or whatever, will 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 prove to be much more complicated, and may and en- end up kind of undermining that whole binary structure itself. And this is something yes. which people have been writing about for an incredibly long time in 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 gothic studies but also you know in 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 other arenas as well and and i think it's so so there then there is another kind of potential relationship between gothic and politics which is the relationship that kind of feminist writers and critics and postcolonial writers and critics have tacked into which is that kind of perhaps what was initially, um, or, or not necessarily initially, but perhaps what what was an unintended ambiguity to Gothic otherness is kind of really capitalized on and exploited by uh, writers in post-colonial um, or writers writing post-colonial narratives, and and um, and and like I say, I mean, I'm, I'm just sort of I'm, I'm sort of saying post-colonialism and feminism because these are two kind of major. Uh, long-standing currents in in gothic studies and so if you think about like for example like what would be an incredibly famous example maybe um jean reese's wide sargasso sea which mm. takes um uh the, the the kind of monstrous figure of bertha mason from from jane eyre uh who is kind of othered racially and in terms of her gender in in in, in jane eyre and rewrites her narrative in order to show how Bertha Mason is is actually is the product of a of a of a of a gendered of a patriarchal and racist imperial society colonial society so so kind of really breaks down that that relationship of otherness um, and politicizes and creates a new relationship between the gothic and politics which is to kind of dismantle um, oppressive things so I, I mean I've I've that that was all very long and kind of off the back of what Madeline said but but just to very kind of briefly add something else, which is kind of less usually considered in, in thinking through horror or Gothic and politics, which kind of requires a slightly different perspective on what you think Gothic is. Um, so I, I, I think it's quite useful to think about Gothic, particularly contemporary Gothic as writing, which re- which registers climates or cultures of anxiety, which comes back to the points we were, t- we were discussing earlier about periods of change. Because if we think about gothic like that as a way of mediating real existing sensations of, of cultural sensations of disorientation or anxiety, then we can think about about gothic or, or horror as a, as a way of negotiating or, or perhaps potentially managing or interrogating those uh, conditions and potentially also then the politics that drives them. Mm. Does that make sense? And I think that this is actually really what we're seeing. At the moment in, in terms of what's happening in, with Gothic production, with Gothic fictional production, um, I feel I'm seeing maybe I'm I mean, there's always the chance that you're seeing what you're looking for. But um, I'm seeing this happening more and more that, that Gothic is uh, functioning as a way of explaining uh, a period of really quite bewildering in terms of scale and and also intensity uh, shift and violence which is felt differently you know in different places across the world but but gothic fiction is helping is help is is kind of that is the function that it is serving it's excavating the politics and the socioeconomic systems which are obviously connected that drive the 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 situations that we're dealing with
3: so i think that's also why you know doing research and trying to research broadly and all that stuff I, i've found myself coming across a lot of you know, things that are sort of talking about, like, well, is the Gothic progressive or not? And like, well, I, I think it's both, you know? I think it, I don't think that we have to say, like, the Gothic is always revolutionary and, mm, like, mm-hmm, with, mm-hmm. with the little guy or whatever, or the Gothic is always restrictive and glorifying the empire and things like that. I, I think it's, we weren't able to have both of those things Um, In gothic literature, both of those sort of sides of who has the power and the power dynamics and who's speaking with power and whatever, like, I I think it would die out as a area of study because, you know, once you figure that out, it's like, well, what's the point? but
2: it's also been it's just what is this text doing what is this text doing now yeah exactly exactly yeah um that's that's gotta i mean that's gotta be the question i mean yes gothic uh gothic may be um you know a limiting mode in all sorts of ways but perhaps less limiting or, or used differently negotiated differently by write by different writers from different contexts in different times to address different concerns i feel like that has to be the framework that you're working in otherwise the question doesn't really make any sense
1: yeah from what you were saying just it just made me think of two things i mean uh what are you talking about there there's a great story that uh, fred jameson tells about teaching undergraduates and he says that like one of the hardest things to do is to realize that when you read a text, you almost never in fact uh, never would in- encounter it in all of its kind of material freshness and uh, like mm-hmm. you would never just be able to read the text because whenever you read you're you're encountering the text mediated through a whole host of uh schemata and ideological points of view which condition inevitably condition how exactly you receive what that text is doing, and so the job is not to kind of go, well, how do you read these texts naively, but is to go, how do we understand what the text is doing now, and why do we understand it to be doing certain things in certain ways um, mm-hmm. yeah and and james Jameson calls that ideological crit- criticism uh, other people I think have you know their own terms for it if they don 't want to put it in the kind of explicitly marxist frame um, but that point about the mediation of anxiety, always finding its outlet in, um, in in gothic or horrific metaphors, I think has always been true. And I mm. think it's really, really important that we talk about that more. I've been doing quite a lot of reading on the work of Antonio Gramsci. Um, and there's that famous quote from Gramsci where he says that, the old is dying; the new cannot yes. be born. I knew this you were is... going to say that.
2: Sorry, uh, I knew this, you were going to say.
1: This, this is this is this is, the, this is the time of monsters, and
0: yeah, yeah.
1: You realise that Gramsci was writing at a time when there was a there was a viable communist movement in Italy that went from being sort of on the cusp of of taking taking over the country through through winning elections, and within two years there were fascists. Uh, You know, imprisoning, imprisoning socialists and communists. And that that was how quickly that was how rapidly things changed. So in that in that moment of massive destabilization there, there is there are there are great monsters there are there is kind of great horror in the world. Mm -hmm. But there was also the potential for a genuine emancipatory political movement to emerge.
2: A hundred percent. I think that. I mean. I mean. Sorry, I got very excited there. I, I, think, about, <laughs> I think about that. Uh, that 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 quote a lot. And actually, the concept because he's he he does he he not. Um, he's talking about interregnum, the condition of yep. interregnum between two regimes, where things the where things kind of lose their structure, and that is the te- that's the kind of the yeah that's the terror. But as exactly as you say, it is also the potential. um Perhaps, I mean, maybe not always, but but right now anyway seems to be both demanded by fiction itself and um, and also a really productive way of moving uh, forward. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Is that a cat. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, that's that's my incredibly needy cat in the background. <laughs> <laughs> uh, un-
3: unofficial, cat, official of mascot of the show. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah my my cat is a podcaster um i i don't know what to do about that we just have to learn to live with it (laughs) a
0: podcaster
3: oh (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah, i think that's um this has been a really robust conversation about Mm. the intersection of the gothic and politics and horror and politics i think the the only thing um that i moved to add to, to the whole thing is that when you look at the nature of politics, just beyond gothic literature and gothic film, you'd still run up against the language of the gothic and the language of the horrific, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you
0: know, the, you know, the, the way the right describes their enemies is deeply mm-hmm. horrific. It's deeply drenched in fear, and then uh, you know, like the, the the same way, you know, we have uh looking at things from a left perspective, like Marx's deeply indebted to to Gothic metaphor and gothic symbolism. And then the the John's John's Scramsky quote is also a fantastic example of this. And so the the it kind of like bleeds from the text or maybe it bleeds back into the text and reinforms it. But I think that, that is is one of the most interesting intersections we have here is that we're not we're not using the language of like action adventure literature. We're not using the language of romance literature to kind of describe these things. We're using the language of the horrific and the language of the gothic
3: and I think also, like, just if you think about sort of the intersections of, of the romantic with a capital R yeah. and horror in, like, con- contemporary – um, well, also contemporary, but I'm seeing, like, all of Ronald Reagan's stuff.
0: Yeah.
3: So speaking in both of those things. And I think that that's a really – I was gonna say I don't think it gets talked about enough, and I th- I know it gets talked about, but like I, I think you can never stop talking about how he tried to make this thing romantic, and at its core, it is horrific.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting to bring up the points where I guess the kind of the inverse of what I said, like you know, like there are the points where the horror is deeply acknowledged, and then there are the points where people are one hundred percent trying to pave over something deeply monstrous or right. monstrous.
2: It has to do with the way that the that the language of the Gothic is being used. Whether it's being used um, as as a, and I mean I don't know how I don't really know exactly what sort of phrasing to use here, but basically it's, whether it's being used as, a, as the language of sort of superficial superficial otherness, like a, a kind of a way of exaggerating. Um, Exaggerating anxieties or concentrating anxieties in a in a kind of a violent way, or whether it's being used um, as a language for articulating experiences, which which perhaps you know maybe are not that easy to see. That uh, I feel like that that's really where that that the the kind of the fulcrum of of of, um, of that distinction lies. So so for example, uh, Maisha Wester has a fantastic. Mm. Uh, chapter in um, and that chapter is called the Gothic in and as uh, race studies. I think um, well, that will need checking. But basically, it is a it is an it is an amazing um, analysis. She reads back through um, the history of critical race studies, and she uh, she reads um, Fanon and uh, Du Bois and. A number of others uh, as as drawing on and she, for their gothic for their mobilization of Gothic to yeah. articulate experiences of racialization do, so do, 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 so there is this kind of there is this sense that the gothic is being kind of um, so there's sort of a sense of casting around for a language to articulate an experience of of mm-hmm. of, of, of lived. Uh, violence and the gothic the gothic comes up and in that sense that is different to um the project of construct of of drawing on the gothic to construct um figures of otherness you know um which might be kind of you know outsiders to kind of shore up a nation in that kind of sense or yeah um, or whatever uh so yeah so i feel like that that this this is really the, the kind of fulcrum between those two ways of of dealing with gothic and politics it has to do with a, a language for an experience of a lived reality or a situation or a kind of uh, a strategic tool for uh crystallizing some kind of inside outside dichotomy some kind of strategy like that does that make sense mm. yeah
0: oh that, that, yeah that makes perfect sense yeah i was just gonna say the relationship between i guess the, those two poles is really interesting and it's really fluid especially when we consider um I guess the symbolic figures of the gothic right you know we have like the zombies starting out as this kind of like i guess non uh lacking lacking kind of like a western canonic identity and then quickly mm-hmm. becoming this figure of capitalist consumerism and then it in and of itself becoming uh, an object of capitalist consumerism now <laughs> when you can buy like zombie funko pops zombie t-shirts everything's mm-hmm. got like a zombie spin-off but then while that's happening concurrent to that we've got like you know, Nollywood and African cinema mm-hmm. re-exploring the figure of the zombie and kind of re-defining re, re uh, defining its boundaries, its terms, and its uses.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily of the opinion that just because things are kind of commercial that they are um, somehow toothless. Oh, um, yeah, yeah but uh, but yes i I think those i mean and 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 there are i mean there there are also that distinction that i'm talking about it kind of does actually relate quite quite specifically to the to the figure of the zombie which um can from certain perspectives be seen as a kind of a well depending on where it's appearing and what um but but uh, in kind of you know occult i mean this is something i've written about in in respect to south africa and and the, the the use of occult discourses in um, fiction which kind of comes out gothic there is there is from one from one perspective the kind of the emergence of um, figures like zombies in in kind of popular uh, occult narratives which actually circulate in, in the real world has got precisely to do with attempting to explain well, with explaining, not attempting to explain, it has to do with explaining a set of situations or a set of circumstances that are deeply violent and, and and experienced as deeply violent. So I'm thinking here. I mean, I get. I don't. I want to keep not name dropping things, but I feel like I need to kind of reference the reference, the points that I'm making. I'm thinking about um, work that's been done by the anthropologists John and Jean Komaroff. Um, who work on Southern Africa? I mean, not only Southern Africa, but who work on Southern Africa and who worked a lot on the occult and actually have drawn on gothic uh, narrative in their um, in their discussions around you know uh, zombies in particular to kind of link the rise of 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 zombie beliefs in in sub-Saharan Africa to um, or to see to see the rise of zombie beliefs in sub-Saharan Africa as kind of analogous to the the the, the conditions of industrialization that produced um, Gothic first, you know, in the first instance.
1: I I believe that's a similar argument to, um, someone like David McNally Uh, monsters of the market was the last book club, uh, that we went through the entire book. And, um, I think both me and Ash, our, our favorite part of that book was, was talking about, uh, the figure of the zombie in African writing and African film.
2: Yeah. I think, I mean, the zombie in particular is, is, is super complicated. Um, and uh i mean the the volume i mean the volume of work on and around zombies kind of attests to that mm. but 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 yeah i mean i would i mean the two things I would say is that not necessarily um just because things are widely disseminated or globally disseminated doesn't necessarily mean that they are not um doing some kind of cultural work mm-hmm.
3: although there, yeah. although there
2: are although there are times when when that they are not, but then uh yes i think it's also it is it is important to see the kind of um it's important to locate these figures um Mm. so so zombies you know zombies in kind of uh, world war z and zombies in Mm -hmm. um, southern african literature are are potentially doing different things yeah Yeah.
0: definitely yeah Yeah. to to the extent that they are almost different monsters in a certain respect (laughs) Uh Madeline, if you wouldn't mind uh just uh, giving a once over this fantastic conference that uh we're gonna, I'm just like I'm on the edge of my seat waiting for this thing. I'm so excited
3: <laughs> thanks i'm I'm so happy that people are stoked about it because I basically on a whim was like I'm just gonna do this um so so it's very nice that people are interested and um if you've heard this conversation and you are like, Oh, I'm not sure. I don't like, you know, I'm interested in what they're saying, but I don't know. Is this for me? Like, yeah, for you, if you're interested in what we've been saying it is for you. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah. So the, the deadline for, um, proposals for, um, panels and then also for just your own singular work. Um, that is, uh, the last Friday in February, so uh, the 28th of February. If you, again, the website is gothic.politics.blog. There's more information at Sterling, the, the International Gothic Center Twitter account, which is at SterlingGoth. Yeah, if you have any questions as well, um, you can reach out on Twitter or at our email, is uh, gothicpolitics at gmail.com.
1: Ash and I are really excited um, when Ash is over in the UK. We are obviously going to do some recording when we're both in the same place, which uh, I am so excited for. We've got some we have got some very exciting, very interesting horror vanguard plans coming in the rest of this year. And um, yeah, really looking forward to being at the uh, Gothic politics conference
0: hell yes and links links to all of these things all of these books um where you can find today's guests will definitely be down in the show notes as always and thanks 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 for listening that was the smoothest the smoothest outro we have ever done no i think this is perfect all right good night and goodbye everyone Thanks for tuning in, creeps, and remember, stay spooky.